The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next, Jonathan Lee Iverson reflects back on his time as the ringmaster of the greatest show on earth, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. You know, because as you can imagine, circus people are, in my opinion, they're the greatest artists on earth. I mean, when you're dealing in a craft of mortality, yeah. you're really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not... Not a lot of room for mistakes. Right. Um, to be the voice of that was always a humbling thing. So when I first went out there, it was wonderfully nerve-wracking. Today, I'm Randy Robinson. Sheila Wallace is with me. My parents are taking a little break, which brought an opportunity that I was very much looking forward to, because when they said, is there anyone you would want to have on the show? I said, as a matter of fact, there is. Would you welcome, from Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus for over 18 years, the ringmaster, Jonathan Lee Iverson. <laughs> so good to have you, man. Thank I, you. I, I just said all that. But you're, you're not the ringmaster anymore. Well, I'm the last ringmaster. I was the last one. voice that you heard go, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the greatest show on earth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I tell you what, That's so cool. When Sheila and I guest host from now on, can you just show up and say yeah. that? About the yeah. Show? That is, what a great intro. Knowing that you did that, um, I went online, and of course you can Google everything, and yes. the photographs of you with your top oh, hat gosh. and those yeah. costumes, fantastic. Absolutely. Someone described me as a, <laughs> said he works a ring like a three-ring televangelist. <laughs> so, that's a compliment that's around a, here. Right, that's a good yeah. thing. That's no, a good no, thing. a great thing. How did you even get there? It was a happy accident. You know, um, I graduated the University of Hartford Hart School of Music. I had plans to be an opera singer. That's what I was going to do. I went to school for voice, and of course, my roommates would uh, soundly just make fun of me. <laughs> what are you going to do with a degree in Dory Me Fa Sola Ti Do? Yeah. And uh, well, you know, I graduated college and I was doing a hustling thing and I was looking for work because I wanted to go to Europe and further my studies. Okay. And I happened into this wonderful audition for the Fireside Dinner Theater Christmas Show. And uh, unbeknownst to me, the director, Phil McKinley, was also directing Ringling Brothers. And he was actually looking for a singing ringmaster. He made that clear. Um, I had no idea. I did the audition for the Fireside, went home and got this call from Ringling Brothers. And I, you would have thought somebody was trying to recruit me for the CIA. I thought, OK, <laughs> why not? I was young and, you know, I was dabbling with my faith then, and so I thought, oh, that would be a great pickup line, ringmaster. So they um, just put me in, uh, they just put me in uh, uh, with 30 other candidates, mm. and it was a rigorous uh, audition process, but the rest was history. Now, you were used to some of the rigor because yes. of your experience with the Harlem Boys Choir, is that right? Yes, very much so. Tell me a little bit, just even back before that, because you, you grew up, in a broken home? Well, you know, I grew up, I, I would never call it a broken home, okay. and it was actually far more whole than most people's two-parent homes. Um, mm. My mother was, uh, I, I think my mother's a social genius. Mm. I think she is just uh, a marvelous human being. She's really the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think from her, everything else was right. I mean, she's where, at her knee is where I learned my faith. It wasn't in a church, it was with her. 
and her example and her prayers and how she conducted her life in spite of herself, you know, in spite of our own humanity. But um, the Boys Choir of Harlem was just this wonderful song of hope um, in the midst of Harlem at that time. The backdrop drop of the uh, crack cocaine years and uh, HIV AIDS at its peak. And in the middle of Harlem, you had this, just this brilliant organization that was taking all these boys in the New York community mm. and sort of thumbing its nose at society saying, yes, they can do all those things. We could do everything from Bach to hip hop. And that was our big deal. And it was quite the life. Now. I was very ignorant to the fact that this was a real legitimate professional group of kids. You know, I thought it was like church choir. I'll just go in and I'll start, I'll get my passport, I'll start traveling. It was the hardest 18 months of my life when I first joined. I thought I never would perform. I thought I'd never get a chance because I was always rehearsing, always rehearsing. Day in and day out, I wanted to quit every other day. My mother was like, no. And, um, Finally, I got my chance, and really, it was just a great experience, but I'll never forget the rigors of going through that. It really taught me a lot, and I still carry those lessons to this day. Well, like what? I mean, I can imagine, but specifically what? You what know, you devotion, devotion to a craft. Um, you, you see the, what happens when discipline is not really held as something. Um, we see it. I mean, we have a reality culture where, you know, all the wonderful things that you would you normally give to people who have practiced something or devoted themselves to something, you would give them the, the wonderful uh, treasures that come with that type of success. Mm -hmm. But now, it's, you know, you do a selfie yeah. and you can be famous. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. But that choir showed me you really have to really devote yourself to something, whatever it is. I mean, put your heart in it and devote yourself to something and really be um, a stickler for discipline. And so that's what stuck with me. Uh, perseverance <laughs> was the big thing. I mean, to actually become a student of music and of song, but not just that, it really built my character mm -hmm. to have to really, really um, learn something and stick with something mm -hmm. to see it through even mm -hmm. when I didn't like it mm -hmm. even when it hurt even when everybody was making fun of me and mm -hmm. going what are you gonna do with a boy choir mm -hmm. you're, you're you're so tall go play basketball or something and I you know I stuck with it and finally 13 was my year everything broke and it was wonderful I was spending my summers in Japan Wow, wow. <laughs> I want to talk about your mom. Yes. A little bit. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that was um, interesting and sad to me about the story is that because your mom was a single mother, mm -hmm. she experienced judgment within the church. Absolutely. And I find that kind of horrific because you would actually think the opposite should be true, that those in the church would gather around her. Was she, how did she deal with that, and how did she teach you to rise above that? Well, you know, my favorite book as a kid was The Scarlet Letter. Oh, gosh, and I Nathaniel Hawthorne. With it yeah. Immediately, I saw my mother. Mm. Um, not to that extreme, but um, I was covered a lot. I was a very green child, um, so I was covered a lot from the, the, the arrows and daggers that she and my older brother took. Wow. Um, but I learned about certain things that I did suffer unbeknownst to myself, being left back a grade because of, you know, in this Christian academy, the principal just couldn't stand that this was what we were. And she's just left to get back at my brother, she did this to me. 
um, all sorts of things. Um, what it taught me, it was really a gift, to be quite frank with you. I mean, it really taught me to cling to Christ. It really did. I mean, when you really, <laughs> I, there's nothing like pain to show you that all you really have is God. That's true. And um, that's the thing my mother taught me. You know, she, <laughs> she was sort of radical because she was one of those mothers, you know, she'd go to church and they, it was back when everybody was passing around pamphlets to, you know, bring prayer back in schools and she would take the pamphlet and toss it and they'd look at her in shock and horror and she'd go, why not? She said, well, the prayer never left the home, it would have never left school. Wow. And so for me, that was big, you know, yeah. for me, I understood she was a very active, uh, she was an activist mother. And so she was my first teacher, my first pastor, my first healthcare physician, my first best friend, all these things. And so from that, I really learned to lean on Christ above all. And she would tell, she said, I'm gonna disappoint you. I have, <laughs> you know, your father disappoints you. He has, people will disappoint you. You can't put your, your faith in that, and that's not shunning people. And it really gave me an empathy for what the church is. I don't expect the church to have these wonderfully angelic people. It, it's a broken place. It's mm -hmm. like going to a hospital and, and expecting everybody to be well. That's what it's for. <laughs> it's for the broken. So um, if you look at it that way, I think it really, it, it covers you from, from a kind of idolatry. Um, so I, That's I, a great perspective, yeah, actually. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Yeah. You're 22, I believe. <laughs> yes. Tell us about that first night when you have to don that top hat and walk out there as the ringmaster for the very first time. What oh was my that goodness, like? it was wonderfully nerve wracking. I can only imagine. Um, you know, because as you can imagine, circus people are, in my opinion, they're the greatest artists on earth. I mean, when you're dealing in a craft of mortality, yeah. You're really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not not a lot of room for mistake. Right. You know, I don't think Denzel Washington or Meryl Streep ever walked onto a set or a stage and went, you know, if I miss this line, this can be it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I there's something about being the voice of that. I was mm -hmm. always very humbled in the presence of my colleagues because really the ringmaster is a glorified fan who gets paid to dress well. <laughs> I get to see behind. <laughs> I get to see what goes into the magic, and what goes into that magic is a lot of hard work. It is a devotion like you would never believe. The hard work those people put in, they should be getting $20 million in Academy Awards. Mm. Um, to be the voice of that was always a humbling thing. So when I first went out there, it was wonderfully nerve-wracking. You know, I had the confidence having been a performer with the Boys Choir of Harlem. That really was a great base for me and going to college at the Hart School of Music and having a wonderful arts education at uh, LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts. I had all of that. But you know, when you get out in life, <laughs> all, it doesn't matter. You know, now, now it's the work. And so I remember those first few shows and it was a little rocky. My first year was a little rocky because I was trying to be a rock star too. You know, remember I was 22 and I, ooh, I got this job, I got money. What am I gonna do now? You know, and boy, I paid for it. <laughs> but um, it, it really was just quite 
quite the experience. I mean, and you went through so many different things. I mean, the schedule, as you know, is one of the most rigorous in all of entertainment. I how, mean, how many shows a year? About 450 shows a year. A year. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, but it was, it, you didn't really feel it because the energy of the audience and what you're giving and what you're getting back is just so tremendous. So those lessons you learned from your mother <laughs> and those lessons you learned early in life, particularly the ones that, that are faith-driven, where did those kind of come back during your circus years to carry you through? Mm, you know, it came back in the form of my, my wife, my wife Priscilla, who I met on the show. She came in as a dancer. And uh, I remember before she came, you know, we had, there was this buzz all about the circus. We're gonna get Brazilian dancers. We're gonna get Brazilian dancers. Remember, I'm single at that time and I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, it's so funny, uh, a, a colleague of ours who was a mutual colleague, he danced with my wife in his native Brazil and he told me about her. He said, oh, she's gonna love you, man. She's gonna love me, and I'm like, oh, whatever. And I tell you, it, when I met her, it wasn't love at first sight, but it was gradual. Um, I sensed her power and her potential immediately. And um, we started dating that summer. <laughs> and by fall, I said, yep, here, I'm gonna put a ring on it. And we got married after the 1030 show, uh, <laughs> in between shows. So it really came back in her, in her growth. Um, as, a, as a human being, as a woman, as a professional. Um, she gave her life to Christ and during the duration of our relationship mm -hmm. and uh, during our courtship, rather. And, um, you know, I just learned so much from being in her presence. And it really, really forced me to actually really, really recommit myself. I mean, because I, you know, a lot of us go through that stage where we're just, we're, we're dangling on the fence. Yeah. You know, we're dangling on the fence and we're trying to mix a little bit. Oh, I can have a little of this. But we forget God is serious business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say, you know, I always say, I'm like, you know, Jesus is a gangster. He really means what he says. <laughs> you know, he, he's going to want an accounting. And you really can't, you know, you can't date him. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he's, it's the ultimate commitment. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really know that I know that I know he was right. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Hmm. Um, she's, Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's been a lifesaver and she's been wonderful and she actually ended up becoming my boss <laughs> at some point during our career in the circus. We uh, no. uh, lots of questions, right? Yeah, we could so talk many. to this guy for days. Uh, I'm guessing though that um, the, the commitment to God came back even in more force with your children. Oh, absolutely. The lessons God teaches you and how humbling oh, yeah. they are. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I re <laughs> it's so funny. One of the great gifts we have is that, uh, you know, we, we were able to raise m my children around my mother and, and uh, their grand, their, uh, my wife's parents as well. And so they get to <laughs> find out what we were really like. <laughs> and um, I've always seen God and really felt him as my father. And he would really alert me to things as my children would develop. I learned as a father, wow, how much I, I really don't like punishing you. Mm. I really don't like the, I really, really love doting on you. Yeah. I really want to see you at your best. Yeah. Um, watching how a child's impatience is a fascinating thing and how we're like that too. Exactly. But I want this, give me that, please answer this prayer. Yeah. And he's going, 
you, you know I know better. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's the lessons have been just tremendous. And, you know, it, it's, I think it's really the greatest, uh, greatest work in my life to be able to be a husband and father to these wonderful people who listen the greatest blessing of the circus was I was able to take them with me and and travel with them so I had a, I made a living while having a life and they were all everybody was employed in my house everybody from me to the eight-year-old yeah. wow. they all had a job with the circus one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading some about your story was when I worked at the BBC in London, I was the only believer that I knew of in a mm. crew of maybe 85. And it became really clear to me that my life had to speak louder than my words. I wasn't hard as an evangelist. I was hard as a TV host on a rock show. Mm. And I wondered how being part of that community in the circus, how you worked your faith out in ways where you're not being employed to come up and read John 3.16 every night. Right. You know, first and foremost, as you say, um, you know, I love the quote by uh, Francis de Sisi, you know, preach the gospel every day and if necessary, use words. Mm -hmm. I understood um, from what I learned being in the Boys Choir of Harlem and from what my mother taught me about ambassadorship. My mother always would say to me, take Jesus with you mm -hmm. everywhere I would go. I mean, and it would drive me crazy when I was trying to be that guy, you know? Yeah. But um, it was right, and I really understood wearing that top hat. Um, it, it meant a sort of leadership, not only on the arena floor, but it also meant backstage because we had a unique life. You know, unlike a lot of traveling shows, we didn't separate from each other. We went back home to our own neighborhood, which was the Great American Circus Train. So we lived together, we barbecued together, we hung out together. So people knew who you were behind the curtain. And um, so I always took pride in, you know, doing my very best to really be an ambassador for Christ, mm -hmm. be an ambassador for my family, even myself, my own personal dignity, and to the role of ringmaster, because I knew it set a tone for how things operated, but also, the show was very dynamic in that we actually had chaplains who traveled with us. We had chaplains and nuns. There was there's an actual ministry uh, in the Catholic Church that actually is committed to traveling shows. And so we had uh, 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 ministers from the Catholic uh, tradition who would travel with us. They would give counsel. They would do mass. They would do, the, uh, uh, they would christen children, do weddings and things of that nature. And they would just be there. They would be counselors. And that was a wonderful thing I learned from them too, yeah. is they were just witnesses in that they would just be present. Yeah. As one uh, wonderful minister, uh, Frank uh, Cancro would say to me, he said, you know, there's something I believe in the ministry of presence mm -hmm. because you're in the presence of a lot of different cultures mm -hmm. and a lot of different beliefs systems and lifestyles and what a gift, you know, because they said go out into the world. Well, what happens when God gifts you with the world coming to you? Yeah. And what a, you know, opportunity to witness in that respect. Mm -hmm. Good, good witness, you know. Wow, what a legacy. The circus, I just, you know, like I said, we could listen to him <laughs> all day long um, because the circus is one of those things that just puts a smile on everybody's face. Uh, I took my children to see Jonathan Lee Iverson uh, multiple times. Yeah. We still have the painting that the elephant painted yes. hanging on my daughter's <laughs> wall, right? But, it, you know, I think God would like the circus because God likes to put smiles on our faces. And we, as Christians, are called to, uh, you know, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. But there's a way we can do it with our deeds and put smiles on children's faces. 
Would you watch this with Sheila and I? It's this time of year we like to focus on giving Christmas smiles. And today I'm sitting here in China at one of our life centers with little Momo. Momo came to the life center here with a special need of a surgery because he had a, one of the worst cases of cleft palate, cleft lip that we've ever seen. But the doctors were able to operate and bring him a Christmas smile. But he's just a happy little boy. He's a boy all the way. He's playful. But he's just, just a bundle of joy and a ball of energy. He's sitting quiet right now, but uh, he loves, loves playing and loves being a little boy. He just loves his life here. He's been loved on. In fact, he's hoping to be adopted sometime soon. Thank you so much to all of our donors who give so generously over and over again to help Life Outreach bring Christmas smiles to children who God loves just so much. Say bye-bye. What an amazing privilege to be able to do that. Sheila, what do you think about when you see this outreach, the shoes and the smiles, where we can change children's countenances? Yeah, it's really, one of the things I find so moving about that story is that darling little boy, um, four years old, he's actually in an orphanage there. And as he was before with that cleft palate and cleft lip, it was, his was one of the most severe we'd ever seen. It extended almost right up to his eye. There was, he had so little hope of ever being adopted. There's something about certain cultures when children are born with deformities, it's almost seen as a curse, as if it's something that's made them, you know, like a social outcast. And for you and I, in Jesus' name, to be able to say to a child like Momo, no, you're loved and you're seen and God has a future for you and a plan. For just $500, we actually are able to perform those surgeries. That would cost so much more here in the United States. But we work with some amazing doctors who are absolutely committed to helping us do that. So literally $500 is all it takes to be able to offer those surgeries. But the other thing that we have going, Randy, that I love is Christmas shoes. This is just amazing to me. These shoes, they literally were able to provide them for $3.60. So here's what we want to do this Christmas. We want to provide 150,000 children with their very first pair of shoes. And it's so doable. Literally for $72, you can provide 20 pairs of shoes. 36 bucks, I mean, you can't even buy shoes for that, but you know that'll provide 10 pairs of shoes for children who in so many places, if they don't have shoes and they've got cuts in their feet and they're putting their feet in water where there's disease, they're gonna end up with hookworm and all sorts of things that can actually lead to brain damage. We have such an opportunity. Christmas is a wonderful time. It's a time when you and I love to get together our friends and family. We eat too much, we buy each other things that we don't need. <laughs> Here's an opportunity for you and I to do something to change the lives of children. So literally $36, 10 pairs of shoes. I mean, that's yeah. nothing. Yeah, and I know you've been, out, you've been in the field. I love it. When we put these shoes 
onto the children, it makes them smile. And for many of them, it's the first pair of shoes they've ever had. Uh, and so these, these are very durable, uh, practical shoes. Um, the, a lot of the kids outgrow them quickly and pass them on to others, so they have a life of their own. It's just a great gift. I mean, this Christmas, we're thinking Christmas a little early here for a good reason, because we want to prepare, as we give so many children, shoes and smiles. Will you be a part of that? Will you go online and make the best gift you can? Call that number? Please do it right now. Poverty is a killer, and because of it, children needlessly suffer not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. Far too many children living in poverty have never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections and disease that could lead to crippling consequences and even death. By responding today, you can help immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world, just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes, a gift of $72 will help provide 20 pairs, and a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted crystal shoe ornament a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $180 or more, you may also request this keepsake boxed set of Life's Christmas Shoe Ornaments. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries, and you may request our Determined Eagle Bronze Sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. You know, here is uh, one group of uh, the most beautiful children. These children are in Central America, and these are just a few of the uh, children that we want to bless with pairs of shoes. You think about that and what it's going to do for their, their family. I've said to you over and over that it's one thing to pray for people, but it's another thing to become an answer to somebody's prayer, someone's need. And the Bible tells us very clearly in one place, as an example, many places, but one very clearly, Isaiah 58, that when you reach out and you touch those in need, then you call and God says, I will answer quickly. We get our prayers answered. And Betty, it's been amazing to see what happened in our lives when we just begin to bless others and giving shoes is one way to bless it others. It is, and to me, it's such a rewarding thing to do. You know, I, we, we come over here to be a blessing, but we always go back so much more blessed, James, I think, because we see what can be done. We see the needs here, but we know that our friends, because they love children, they love to give, they love to share. That's you I'm talking about. You love to help and, and, and any need that we share with you. And, and this is a real need, shoes for the children. Thank you so much. And if the phones are busy, please keep trying. For any gift to tell, this is our brand new little Christmas shoe. I love it. It's crystal this year. I have these on my Christmas tree and they're amazing. So please, I mean, what a little amount of money can make such a huge difference. 150,000 children with their very first pair of shoes this Christmas. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. And would you thank our guest, Jonathan Lee Iverson? If you're interested in having him speak at your event, you can go to bigtalkvoice.com. And as always, thank you for watching live today.
Christians are sicker than non-Christians. And, and I can't fathom that. The spiritual impact of diet and exercise next week. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.